Welcome to the Lucha Lounge Podcast. I'm your host, Elijah Kang, a sound designer by day, but by night I am a pro wrestling connoisseur, the proud owner of two kittens, and the host of this, the Lucha Lounge Podcast. This podcast is all about giving interesting people an unfiltered form to share their ideas and stories with everyone out there. So thanks for listening. Here we go. On the fifth episode of the Lucha Lounge podcast, I talk to a professional bodybuilder. We talk about nutrition, workout splits, about posing, and about competing in bodybuilding at a professional level. This should be a very illuminating conversation for anybody that's interested in fitness or in nutrition or anything like that, and I had a really great time talking to her. So please welcome my guest, Alessandra Molina. And boom, we're live. Awesome. Alessandra Molina? Yes. Professional bodybuilder. Welcome. Thank you for having me. All right. So let's just jump right into it, right? I think bodybuilding is, just to set the whole conversation up, I think bodybuilding is a very misunderstood sport. I think a lot of people just think of it as a bunch of steroided up guys <laughs> in their underwear, you know, doing double bicep poses and uh, looking very, you know, oiled up and stuff like right. that. And I think for people that don't really know about the nuances of bodybuilding, I think they need to learn from a true professional about A, what it takes and how much of a real sport it is. Mm -hmm. um, and that's essentially why you are here. You're definitely not wrong when you hold that standpoint. Um, a lot of people, when they hear bodybuilder, they just take the opinion that they look at the extremes that they've seen on social media, et cetera, mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, they don't know that bodybuilding teaches you an entire form of discipline that you can't really learn in any other way. Right. Um, over the five months of my prep for my first season and my first two competitions, I learned so much. It took so much out of me and I was, it just takes a lot of dedication. And that's what most people prep for. Most people don't prep for the stage. They could care less about going on stage and coming away with a trophy. A lot of us do it for the self-satisfaction and the pride that comes along with the entire process that goes with it. Right. I think that's what's lost. All right, let's back it up then. Uh, how did you first get into bodybuilding? Tell us your uh, story. So I actually got a job as a swim instructor at a gym um, at a Lifetime Athletic. Okay. And that was kind of the first step for me because in high school, I went to L.A. Fitness. I went with this guy that I was dating at the time and he would take me and I would kind of just be like a cardio bunny, you know, not really knowing what I was doing. And then it developed into me getting a job at this real gym with people that actually knew what they were doing. And then actually to give you a sort of a timeline, I got this job November 2016 and in February 2017, my sister passed away. Hmm. And that kind of obviously took me out of wherever I was. And I kind of halted everything that I was doing at that time in my life. Um, and I took off work for, you know, three or four weeks. I was senior year of high school, just kind of like figuring things out. Um, and then when I went back to work, I had met this guy at the gym who was his personal trainer. And he kind of took me under his wing and taught me all these things that I had no clue about like how to actually lift weights, you know, even if it was I was curling a five pound weight, like right, it right, didn't right. matter. Um, but I was doing something other than cardio. And if you had asked me this a year ago, like what got me into fitness, this wouldn't have been my answer. It didn't really click until recently. But my sister, before she passed away, she was kind of like overweight and unhealthy and she hadn't really been doing you know, things that were in her best interest. So mm -hmm. it all kind of spiraled into me putting all of this and en negative energy into bodybuilding. And 
I mean, I wouldn't have wanted me to put that energy into anything other than that, honestly. But it definitely went from zero to 100 in just like a span of a few weeks. And I just became infatuated with it. It started with me just watching YouTube videos, learning how to track my food, buying like a $10 food scale off Amazon. (laughs) And then my parents were just kind of sitting back watching like, what in the world is she getting into? And then I started meeting people at the gym who competed. And I was like, you know, maybe one day I'll do that. And eventually I decided to. So, wow, that's a that's a pretty wild story. It's a little heavy. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a little heavy. But I mean, it's always how you take a negative and turn it into right. something positive. Right. And I think you're doing a great job of that. Thank you. Um, so when it comes to competing, you know, when when people first think about bodybuilding, they think of Mr. Olympia. Right. right? right. Like guys like Schwarzenegger mm-hmm. and, you know, Dorian Yates, right. one of my favorite guys and like Phil Heath. Right. Yeah. These guys. How is that different than what you are competing in? Honestly, the only difference is how long they've been doing it for. Mm. Um, You don't get to the Olympia stage after your first season, of course. And um, it just becomes, you have to decide whether it's a hobby for you or if it's a career. And that's where the biggest thing happens. I mean, for me, it's a lifestyle. There's no doubt about it. But I'm not going to college to become a professional bodybuilder. You know what I mean? That's not my career choice, personally. Mm. I'm doing this on the side. And... It definitely makes it harder because you have to balance the whole aspect of bodybuilding on top of your normal day-to-day lifestyle. Sure. I think that's the biggest difference, honestly, just how you're prioritizing it in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're on prep, it certainly is your top priority, bodybuilding, if you want to do well. There's no doubt about it. You put bodybuilding before before anything else. Right. Um, that's just kind of how it has to be. That's And you don't really, coming from an outsider perspective, you're like, oh, like that's really selfish. But it's a selfish sport, right? It is. There's, you have to put yourself first, your body, your food, your energy. You can't waste energy going to parties. You need to keep your energy for the gym, especially in that final stretch before the show. So these guys that you see on the Olympia stage or in the, you know, the bikini Olympia too, Mm -hmm. um, they're on the clock year round, they're lean year round, and that takes a toll on your body. So I think it really just depends if you're developing this into a career Mm -hmm. or a lifestyle. Um, Because there's people that are 50 and they've been lifting since they were 20, but they're not competing. They're not bodybuilders. So it just depends on what your goal is with the whole thing. So what's the difference between a guy at LA Fitness, you know, (laughs) wearing cutoffs and, you know, doing curls and a bodybuilder? Like what's the fundamental difference between the two? Bodybuilding isn't just going into the weights and getting a pump, right? So you see all these high school boys and and I'm I'm putting this because it's completely true. Sure, sure. And there's 50-year-old guys doing the same thing. Yeah. But, the you know, you're talking about the guys that go to the gym wearing a stringer. Yeah. They're going in there. They're doing five sets of 20 bicep curls. Like, they're getting a pump. They're going to mm-hmm. take a picture for the gram. And they're going <laughs> to clock out, right? Bodybuilders, it's about what you eat, when you eat it, how much cardio you're doing, how much, like... And act, like energy you're expending throughout the day and how much energy you're putting into your body food-wise, where mm. you're getting your food from, um, training every part of your body, not going to the gym and training arms because that's your favorite. You right, need to right. train what your physique is lacking, right? So, you know, most bodybuilder, m- men bodybuilders, they always need to like bring their chest out more, mm. grow their hamstrings. So they're going to focus on what their physique needs, right? right. Whereas the guy who's lifting is thinks that big arms are going to get his girls, yeah. right? So girls for the girls, right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So there's a fundamental difference in what you're training, how much thinking goes around it. Bodybuilding, 
everything surrounds their training. Hmm. A high school kid might just go to the gym after after school for like 30 minutes and then go to his job. Right. Whereas a bodybuilder is going to wake up at 4 a.m. if he has to to get his training in. Wake, sure. You know, stay up until midnight to get his hour of cardio done. So it's just the amount of effort and the amount of sacrifice that goes into it is what separates. So explain the whole thing about prep. Mm-hmm. So uh, bodybuilders that compete leading up to the stage, mm-hmm. it's almost like a fight week for a fighter, right? Um, that's an interesting comparison. It's are you talking about peak week itself, like the yeah. last week before the stage? Yeah, like cutting weight and you know all that stuff. So I always tell people whether they're competing for a competition or just lifestyle, trying to lose weight, become healthier. Slow fat loss is the way to go. So typically especially if you're talking about a natural bodybuilder, it takes a long time to lose fat without losing muscle, at Mm -hmm. least minimizing muscle loss. So there's some people that will prep for a competition in 10 weeks. They're going to lose so much strength if they're natural. There's no doubt about it. So like me personally, I started prep January 6th and my first show was June 3rd. So So that's like six months. Yeah, we're talking like five and a half months Mm -hmm. of slow and steady, like losing a pound a week, essentially. Mm -hmm. And I maintain strength throughout the whole way. So peak week, the last week before the stage is more like depleting your body. Um, So you're not necessarily cutting the most weight, but you're bringing your physique to its final touch. Different coaches have different methods. There's no right or wrong way. Like for my coach, we we cut sodium and we loaded up on water and, and that helped me lose like the last four pounds in the last last seven days but it wasn't necessarily four pounds of fat it was just kind of like four pounds of water we're just taking out every single little ounce left in you what's like an average day look like for you oh boy um you're probably gonna think it's crazy but so this past semester when I was prepping pretty much only the last three weeks is when I was done with school so um pretty much I would wake up my coach didn't have me do fasted cardio because it, it kind of, yeah, I know. It was what? always cardio post-workout. So wow, okay. that was just her preference. I just went along with it, right? Coach's orders are what happens. So I'd wake up, have my breakfast, go to class, um, and then typically go to the gym, do my workout. All right. So let's let's take mm-hmm. a little microcosm of that. For me, I go to the gym almost every day. You mm-hmm. know, I built a home gym. You know, mm-hmm. I do all the strong lifts, right. um, like power builder workout mm-hmm. kind of thing. But I want people to know what's different between a pro and just someone who's doing it to stay healthy. Okay. If I if I go deeper into the day, it already separates because so what I was saying was I would pull out my meal prep meal in right. the middle of my class. Everyone would be staring at me. I'm like, sorry, I'm going to be at the gym in exactly an hour and a half. I need to eat this right now. And I, you, know, you eat your meal during class. Right. It stinks asparagus. Everybody's <laughs> staring at you. It is what it is, right? Um, at that point, it's just you and the stage. That's all you're thinking about. You could care less what other mm. people are thinking. So you pull out your meal. You eat it. Um, you know, you digest. I get in my car, sit my pre-workout, start driving over. I get there. I check into the gym. I still have a few minutes to, like, go to the locker room, get myself, you know, in the right mindset. Go upstairs, do my workout. Probably takes an hour and a half. Then... You know, towards the end of my stretch, I was doing 70 minutes of cardio a day. I, I, me personally, I can't handle 70 minutes of cardio all at once. Uh So I'll hop on the stairs, do 35 minutes. Then I'll go um, eat another meal. And then I would go to the posing room and pose for like an hour, practice my routine for the stage, hop back on the Stairmaster, do another 35 minutes of cardio, hop in my car, sit in traffic, go home. And that was my routine day to day. And it sounds awful, but honestly, I would take that over anything else. 
Everybody want to be big. Yeah, pretty nobody much. Nobody want to lift no heavy ass weight. <laughs> exactly. Man, that is that is the life. I mean, mm-hmm. and most people just see all these perfect looking right. bodybuilders on stage with the spotlight on mm-hmm. them. They got the awesome looking mm-hmm. suit. They're perfect. You know, the yeah. tan's great and everything like that. And they don't see the grind behind no. it. And they say, you know, oh, it's genetics. Yeah. Like, oh, it's easy for them to get big. It's easy for them to be lean. Yeah. And it's it's so far from it. Most yeah. of these people that are professional bodybuilders, like, they have been doing this since they were 15, 16, mm. 17, you know, 15, 20 years behind the, behind the scene for a lot of those pro Olympians. And they don't see. And honestly... Being on prep, as difficult as it was and as low as my energy got, I would take that over anything else. That was easier than being in what bodybuilders refer to as off-season, which is what I'm doing right now. Because when you're on prep, you have a show coming up. You can't fall back on your plan. Mm. You you can't. Otherwise, your body's going to show it and the judges are going to see it and your placing is going to result in that. But when you're in off-season, you have so much more freedom. Like yesterday, I went to Ann Pizza. And I got a whole pizza and it fit in my macros and that right. was perfectly fine. Um, and then I went to get ice cream after. Did I did I track my ice cream? No, I didn't. <laughs> no, I did not. Right. Because right. it's like I don't have a show coming up anytime soon. So it's a lot harder to stay on track now that you're not on prep. So as difficult as prep sounds, I honestly glorify prep. I think it's it takes so much out of you and it keeps you on track in every aspect of your right. life. Because for me, at least, I've always been academically like inclined to do well, like always strive to be a good student. So I had to make that work even while being on prep. It, you know, it didn't matter if I had to go to the science tutoring center for seven hours. I made sure I had every single meal with me for that because um, I ate five times a day at the same time every day for six months, essentially. So it's a routine. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing, right? Eating becomes, it becomes almost like a chore, like mm-hmm. regular people and even fit people, generally speaking, oh, I'm hungry. I got to eat. Right. Or it's 12 o'clock. It's lunchtime. We got to mm-hmm. eat. Exactly. But for you guys, you guys think of food as fuel. Mm-hmm. If I don't have this, I can't perform later. Correct. I'm not going to get the nutrients to get the size that I need to mm-hmm. be. Or uh, have the energy for the workout that I need. Yeah. Man, that is that is insane. Yeah, you definitely look at food as numbers more than anything else. You know, it's like, how much of this can I have to fit this many carbs, this many that, blah, 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 blah. Um, and towards the, it's towards the end of my prep, I was... I had the same amount of food for the last six weeks. It didn't change at all because my body kept dropping weight. There was no need to decrease my food anymore. Mm. Um, And we were already pretty low anyway. So, but people are like, why aren't you eating rice? And it's not that I can't eat rice, but Mm. when you're eating 55 carbs a day, and that's, that's me personally, everybody's 55 grams, 55 grams of carbs a day. Correct. You can't have a cup of rice in one meal because that's 90% of your daily total intake, you know? So I had to literally only eat green veggies to get my fiber in, first of all, because I needed at least 25 grams of fiber or I wouldn't be going to the bathroom properly. I wouldn't be digesting. (laughs) People don't know the struggle. You have to consider every aspect of your life. I mean, if, if I wasn't going to the bathroom, my coach would like give me an extra 10 minutes of cardio. She'd be like, you need to get your system moving, you know? So it's, it's a 24 hour thing. Like people that hire online coaches and do lifestyle coaching, they check in once a week, you know, like, Oh, like this week I dropped 0.2 pounds, whatever, whatever. And, You'll probably just do the same thing the next week. Bodybuilding, it's check-in every day. You take pictures of your body every day. Man. Like, I probably took 16,000, 17,000 pictures over, over, and videos, you know, combined over my five-month prep, literally just of my body. And it's, it's, it's selfish, right? But mm. 
it's you have to do what you have to do to get your physique in, in line. So your coach is the one that kind of maps out everything for you. Mm-hmm. And you just, I don't want to say blindly, but you take it on faith and then you're yeah. like, she knows what she, or he or she. She. Okay. In, the, in my case, yeah. I mean, I kind of took a wild leap of faith and I was my coach's actual first prep coach ever. Oh, wow. So she's competed in the past, but she's never coached anyone for prep. Um, for a competition so I was kind of the guinea pig yeah I was her guinea pig and it absolutely worked out well like my physique came in really great I placed well you know I have no regrets at all you know whatever you tell me to do I will do it and I will do it to the T because that's just the, the personality that I have I'm not mm. going to slack off you know she'd be like oh you can get in between like three grams of protein for the whole day like I know I'm gonna get the exact amount you told me to get right right. Um, and I think that's the kind of attitude you have to have if you want to make this a legitimate part of your life there's people that go from you know being overweight to deciding to do a bodybuilding competition more just to like have that under their belt and Mm. that's fine and then it's just a one-time thing and that's good and I think that's great and I think that's inspirational for a lot of people it takes guts to do that to go from being 35 40 percent like borderline obese mm-hmm. to cutting down weight to get on stage that's great um but it's still for some people it's so much more than that yeah because you are thinking this is going to be a part of your life for a, a minute i'm hoping so yeah right. definitely it's the only thing that would stop it from being that is financially that's another part of bodybuilding that nobody understands how much it costs right um at least how much it costs to do well in it right right so so what is that what what are some of the costs that go into it um a lot of people don't realize so obviously you have you know your gym membership assuming yeah um i was lucky enough to be working at that gym for a long time so i didn't have to pay so that was that was great Um, instead i was getting paid to go there essentially but then you have obviously all the food that you're eating and you know you might think oh you're eating healthier you're going to the grocery store it's cheaper but when all you can eat is asparagus and you're buying six pounds of asparagus a week, three pounds of chicken or two pounds of ground turkey, that becomes more expensive than going to get a salad at McDonald's every day. Right, right. Um, it, be, it adds up for sure. So you're looking at that. You're looking at supplements. And when I say supplements, I don't mean steroids, right? <laughs> because those have a strong link when people hear that. Yeah. But there was one set of pills that I was taking. It was like a hormone optimization stack. It helped me stay strong when I was lean. $280 every four weeks. And then I'm taking, you know, my fish oil, my multivitamin, because I'm not necessarily getting all those vitamins through my low... From asparagus. Exactly. Right, yeah. Exactly. So there's just so many things in check. My little pill box came with me everywhere. Mm. There were pills I had to take in the morning, at night, before my workout. It goes a long way. Your pre-workout, because when you get down to 11, 1200 calories a day... Yeah, no energy. Exactly. You're not... The, going to the gym is probably the last thing you want to do. Um, so I would take my pre-workout, had my coffee, um, you know, the little simple things in life. Mm. I would even have a pump agent, right? So it made me look like... Like super vascular. Exactly. And, yep. and that was totally unnecessary. But for me, that was motivating. That would right. keep me going. Because you want to see it. Exactly. Yeah. So I would pay for that too. Was that necessary? No. But when it comes down to it, you know, if that's what you need to keep yourself going at the right. gym, that's what you're going to do. That's just like over the span of prep. But actual show day costs, especially for girls, mm-hmm. bikinis can go from 300 600 700 dollars right i wanted mm-hmm. to ask you about that mm-hmm. so uh you can't just wear anything no oh there's yeah there's a big misconception it's like oh why don't you just wear like a bikini from forever 21 right, like, right, right that's not how it goes at all they have very strict rules um 
And not that to put a bad spin on it, but you can't really wear a bottom of your bikini that covers a lot because they need to see your glutes, right? It's right. essentially a thong like that you're wearing on stage because you they need to be able to see your hamstring glute tie in. Right. It's not in any way some like modest sport in any way. You need to be over there. You need to be vulnerable. So um, there's different companies that have been really popular for bikini girls. Mm -hmm. um, mine in particular, I actually used my coach's old suit. So I oh, lucked out cool. and I didn't have to pay. We were, right. were like very similar in size. It's like angel competition bikinis, not to give them a shout out or anything, but you can do that. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't buy from them. I just know right. that they're a very popular company mm -hmm. and um, there's a whole bunch of other ones that I could list and they all are sponsored by the confederations for uh, bodybuilding. Sure. So if you get a suit from them, you know, it's going to be okay. Where, cause the day before the show, you have to go, they have to check your suit and make sure that it follows all the rules and everything. Right. Right. Um, so you can't just go without anything. And of course not to throw shade, but there's a lot of politics in bodybuilding, especially in the bikini division mm -hmm. and say all the girls on stage look the same physique wise they're gonna go for who has the best colored suit like whose suit looks the best with their skin color who has the best tan who has the best jewelry the best shoes so so it's almost like a beauty pageant yeah. slash bodybuilding mm -hmm. competition so there's even more scrutiny for yeah. bikini girls definitely i would agree and i and i don't mean that in a biased way at all right, but right. men's physique they could care less what you're shorts look like they're right. you know your board shorts they're not going to judge you on that because in the bikini division it's easier for girls to look the same in men's physique men's bodybuilding it's a lot more like well there's more mass yeah so there's, there's more to judge exactly yeah. and there's more to differentiate like that guy has much bigger lats than that guy whereas mm. these bikini girls okay they all came in lean and the biggest differentiator for most bikini girls is like who has the nicest glute hammy tie-in but mm. if there has been scenarios where all the girls on stage look the exact same. So how are the judges supposed to pick, right? So it boils down to all of that. So at the end of the day, I always think it's just safest to pay the big buck for that competition bikini because you wouldn't want something as simplistic as that to keep you from winning. Right, right. So there are different, I guess, uh, classes, right? Mm -hmm. You mentioned men's physique with the mm -hmm. board shorts. That's like a newer thing. What is the difference between the the Mr. Olympia and bikini and then there's... um. Now they have figure. Yeah, there's figure mm -hmm. and then there's physique for women too, right? They call it something. They else? only have it in some some federations now. Mm -hmm. Um they're getting kind of not outlawed by the government or anything like that, but mm -hmm. um it's becoming a lot less popular for females to do that because that's that's the division for females that requires the most size. It's basically the female version of like men's olympia right right um if you're looking at it that way most of those girls like they can't get that size without being natty or mm -hmm. without being not natty uh -huh. um so a lot of confederations have taken that portion out because it's just not popular enough and it's just not worth to them making, right, right, they're not making right. enough money out of it so that's become it's kind of slowly dying out i know a lot of people that are like fighting for it to stay but um that's a whole other thing but Bikini is bikini. Like, you know, you can look at the Bikini Olympia and see what they want. You can look at the girls that go IFBB Pro every show and tell what they want. They want the round capped shoulders, the big delts, mm -hmm. the teeny tiny waistline, or at least the illusion of it. The big glute, the lean hamstrings. They want all the things that are really hard for you to get. And they want the specific proportions, you know. And for me, my upper body is it comes in a lot leaner than my lower body. Mm -hmm. I still have a lean lower body, but my glutes aren't as big as the other girls. Like right. that's a weak spot for me. Um, and I hate training glutes too. <laughs> so that doesn't really help. And so 
you have your weaknesses in bikini, it's obvious. You can compare yourself to the top girls and know what you're missing. Hmm. It's very simple. Whereas for men's and men's physique, classic physique, men's bodybuilding, um, I give props to those guys because if I was a guy, I wouldn't know which one to choose. Yeah, it's it's pretty nuts. I mean, like this year, you know, Phil Heath was going for eight. Right. Um, and he didn't get it. Everyone was like freaking out because mm -hmm. Phil Heath looks so much bigger. I forget the guy who won, the name of the guy who won, but he looks so much bigger. Right. But then it's proportions. Yeah. And they were looking at his abs mm -hmm. and how like a bloated it was and stuff. Yeah. And so like people don't understand that it is tiny, yeah. tiny details. And, and it's funny that you mentioned that because that's where peaking comes into play. Um, me and my coach, actually, we had a little, not a malfunction, but... If you looked at my stomach two days out versus on the stage, mm. um, I was a lot more watery on the stage. And it's because we didn't we just didn't drink enough water the day of the show. So all these small things come into play. And you would think, you know, Phil Heath has won seven Olympias. He should know by yeah. now how to prepare himself for the stage. But every time you put yourself into prep, something's different. Yeah. Your body's not going to react the same way. If I had a really easy time getting lean. Um, for my competition because I did it slowly. My, it was my first time really dieting that hard. But I know for a fact that when I go back to it in another eight months, nine months and start dieting again, I'm probably going to run into more obstacles. My body's going to know what I'm setting it up for and mm. it's going to try to prevent from getting that lean right, most right. likely. Your body remembers all it's, that stuff. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, please don't put me through that again. <laughs> um, it's definitely not something, it's not a maintainable lifestyle to be that lean year round. Right. Um, it takes a toll on you for sure. But um, yeah, so a lot of people are, you know, kind of giving Phil Heath crap for looking bloated, quote, yeah. quote, bloated yeah. on stage. But um, you never know how your body's going to react. It's it's just unpredictable. Yeah. And at that limit, you know, especially with men's bodybuilding, right? That's like I, I always I always like to think of men's bodybuilding as or bodybuilding in general as the showcase of how far the human physique can go. Right. It's like the upper limit, mm -hmm. you know. And it, it, it really showcases, like, the determination, willpower, right. you know, and, and just the desire to do it. Because you can do it. People mm -hmm. can get there. Mm -hmm. They just don't want to. You know, yeah. Ronnie Coleman, we, you know, always say the quote, you know, everybody want to be big. Nobody mm -hmm. want to. It, it is really, that Absolutely. is really true. And uh, obviously, you know, especially for men's Olympia, there is a lot of, you know supplement quote-unquote uh, supplements yeah. involved but you know i mean even for natty natty competitions those guys are huge yeah and and that's actually it's funny that you say that because a lot of people think you take steroids you're gonna get huge and that's not the case like mm. you're still in the gym working your butt off to get to that size steroids kind of help you pass a plateau in mm. essence right so if you've been lifting bodybuilding for 10 years and all of a sudden it's really hard for you to put on more mass you can take these supplements you know extra testosterone etc cetera, etc cetera, right. to help you put on that mass but that doesn't mean you don't go to the gym anymore yeah you're still like lifting you're still trying to go heavy you're still trying to do that one more rep so steroids isn't the easy way out for some guys and you know, there's a lot of controversy on this, but I think for some guys who have been doing this for a long time, it's necessary because their body's depleted by then, you know, right. and there's a lot of side effects that go along with it. I don't know all of the signs behind it, but for some people, I think it is necessary for girls that have only been lifting for a year and they're still in that newbie stage. You know, what is the point? The point is that you don't want to like work that hard. Some people don't have as easy as a time getting lean, so they will take a, a steroid to help them get lean, yeah. you like know, diuretics and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. And 
you know, at the end of the day, it's allowed. So it's not like they're doing anything wrong. And that's why some people compete only in natural organizations because they don't think it's fair. So you are natty, which means natural bodybuilder, mm-hmm. right? Correct. So what is the drug testing like? Or do they even drug test? And is everybody just saying, oh, no, I'm natty. <laughs> <laughs> so so actually, it was I was so nervous. I was a nervous wreck. Um, so for the National Gym Association, right, the NGA, there's hundreds of organizations that do bodybuilding competitions. So mm. this was just the natty organization. I chose to do because um, I had a competition around the right time that I needed it in Annapolis, you know, nice and local for me. Um, So I went the day before to get settled into my hotel and I had to go into this guy's hotel room and I had they got strapped up to a polygraph like they wrapped the whole thing around me like put all these things on my fingers to Mm -hmm. like you know measure my heart rate and all these all these things and they asked me you know the same set of questions four different times to like really make sure. Uh, I would honestly thought they were going to take like a pee test. Yeah. And they didn't do that. It was only a polygraph. So some people argue that you can get away with it. That that seems so that seems so whack because you can <laughs> I mean, OK, so polygraph is like a technology that was developed like 30, 40 years ago. Right. And it's super easy to that's why polygraphs are not allowed in the court of law as mm-hmm. evidence. So they didn't they didn't take any pee or blood? They didn't no, they did not. And I I thought they were. I was prepared for them to right, do it. Right. You know, I wasn't nervous about it. Like I was nervous going into the polygraph because I was like, oh my gosh, like what if I feel what like if I'm, I accidentally right, trip it up? Yeah. I feel like I'm being arrested or something. <laughs> um but I think there are some confederations that do pee tests and mm. blood tests, um, just not this one particularly. Because right. they're all run completely separately. They all mm. do their own thing. Um, they're not affiliated with each other at all. There's no set rule of thumb um so there probably is a confederation that does a p-test or a blood test Mm -hmm. um for me that was good enough like none of the people i was competing against i doubted Mm. in terms of their nattiness uh i I wasn't worried about it so it was a small show but yeah it was just a polygraph and they they asked me you know like have you ever and they actually asked me have you ever taken steroids in the past seven years oh wow so i guess they're admitting that to a certain extent if you quit taking steroids like after a while a Mm. long while seven years your body stops feeling the effects and you become quote natty again see i don't i don't believe that either because i think i mean especially for pro athletes i'm a big combat sports fan too Mm -hmm. like mma okay and um there's this girl who's the best mixed martial artist. Her name is uh, Chris Cyborg. Mm-hmm. Um, and she got popped for steroids that she took a while back. But she is so much bigger and stronger <laughs> and faster. And I- I'm not discounting her technique because right. I love her technique and all that stuff. But there is there is something to be said because you still feel right. the effects. You take steroids yeah. and you get stronger. It's not like you lose that strength right. when you cycle off. Right. I think you can definitely put on the mass and mm. then cycle off the steroids and maintain that mass. Yeah. Right? Like it's not just some magical pill that you you take it one day, you're, you're big. You don't take it the next day, you're small. Right. It doesn't work like that, obviously. Um, there's a lot more science behind it. But yeah, I, I I don't know about the whole you know oh seven years have passed yeah it's, you're you're natty again I don't know how how much I would trust that but mm. um like I said my show I wasn't worried about it because the the girl I lost to like it was somewhat of a fair placing so I'll I'll take it but mm. um you know if there had been a girl on stage next to me that did not look uh-huh. natty uh-huh. or I knew for a fact wasn't natty right. I would probably take that up. For sure, because yeah. like you know, your method of testing wasn't accurate at yeah. all. But um, 
in my situation, I wasn't, it just wasn't a big factor for me. Right, right. So you lucked out on that one. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So you mentioned in your training where you'll do 35 minutes of stairs, which sounds like miserable, <laughs> and then pose. Mm -hmm. So what is that? What does that entail? Uh, practice, 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 doing your routine 10,000 different times. Um, the thing is, especially with bikini, um, your physique looks entirely different six weeks out versus one week out versus mm. 10 weeks out versus three weeks out, right? So your body is slowly leaning out. You're losing fat in different areas of your body at a time. So what looks good on your body is six weeks out might not look the best at one week out. So you can practice this routine for weeks and days and hours and then still have to tweak it at the end. So you're constantly judging yourself, getting second, third, fourth opinions from different people. Mm. And that's another cost, might I add, you know, paying for a posing coach. Um, oh, so your your training coach is separate from your posing coach. Oh, yeah. She does. She does. She'll do my my macros, my cardio. She'll look at my check-ins and she'll write my workouts for me also. Which and that's is, your like training bodybuilding coach. Mm -hmm, okay. Yeah. And actually, she did that for me as an additive. Most people don't do training workouts. Like one of the biggest bikini coaches going around right now is Paul Revelia. I don't know if you've heard of him. He does macros and cardio. That's it. It's on you to figure out what to work out, you know? Whoa. Yeah. So and that's how most people go. My coach was nice enough to do my workouts for me also. And which was good because she forced me to go heavy on things I, <laughs> I wouldn't have made myself do right. if I hadn't had somebody telling me to. But no, so for posing, it's just constantly looking at your body, comparing yourself. It's mm. it's a game of comparison. You have to look at yourself in the mirror, take videos, watch it, replay second by second, look at what you can change. Because some girls might not have the best physique standing on straight looking at them, but on stage, they look incredible. You know how to pose. And some girls have the best physique on the planet and they don't win because they don't know how to pose. So it's a huge factor in the game. And I mean, the bodybuilding routines, if yep. you pick a bad song and it's just your posing isn't yeah. vibing with the song, like, right. guess what? The judges aren't going to be impressed. There's a lot more creativity in it. I would pose in the, in the morning, pose in the night, pose after my workout. Um, whenever I could, I would take my heels with me no matter where I was. Oh, yeah. And that's another thing for people that don't know. <laughs> Male bodybuilders, they just in their bare feet. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, women do everything in heels. <laughs> makes everything harder. You Most know, when, uncomfortable ones, yeah. might I add. So you're posing and doing a routine and walking back and forth on stage with heels, super depleted of, of water, <laughs> super shredded. Yeah. And Nervous. then the craziest thing is everybody's smiling. Yeah. that's And that's the thing. The, the judges want to see you i hate to compare it to a beauty pageant but when you take mm. into effect you know you have to have a nice suit you have to have nice hair makeup earrings bracelet rings shoes you know they they are looking for that full-fledged they don't they do want sass but they want confidence in sass mm. as in the bikini division at least you know they want you to own what you have i mean if you don't have that good of a physique but you have a good attitude on there that might help you with your placing compared to somebody else who's up there nervous stumbling you know straight face not a, not a real smile or smiling without their teeth you know if they look awkward at all practice that smile and that's something my coach would always tell me i would practice staring myself down in the mirror and she's like that's not how you're gonna do it on stage right um and also you're looking down at the judges you're almost always considerably above them so when you practice you have to like stare at the floor and you know i could pose in all of my clothes if i wanted to but when i'm on stage i'm not going to be covered in clothes so right. i'd usually strip down to a sports bra and my mm -hmm. spandex and 
at least at the gym I go to, the posing room is full of windows and mirrors right next to the basketball court, right, right next right. to the cardio machines. And it's definitely you just kind of kind of have to own it. It's it's an uncomfortable sport and you get stares, you get looks. I'm sure there were a handful of people that just thought it was like cocky or something, like right. standing in my heels in the mirror posing, right. sticking my butt out. But Little do they know. Yeah. Yeah. It's a whole different world you know mm-hmm. what i mean um i remember watching uh one of my favorite documentaries is uh, uh pumping iron oh i know that's yeah, a they classic have, they have three right yeah there's there's pumping iron was the first one i think the um the one with kai green and mm-hmm. phil was generation iron oh that's right yeah yeah i i really like the original one where um arnold hires like a ballerina coach to help him mm-hmm. and so him and like frank colombo are like posing in this like bar classroom <laughs> and there are these huge guys and there's little guys like teaching them how to like right. flow their arm together yeah. and stuff it's an art you know when i say that people are like it's not an art but it is like you're taking your body and you're putting on a show um you're using your body to impress people like you know, and that sounds so, I don't know, surface level, I guess. Mm. But at the end of the day, like, it's not like we were born with these bodies. We're not born with 10% fat, body mm. fat for females, 3% body fat for males, you know, whatever the requirements are. And the judges, the good thing about that is that the judges admire that. They know too. Most of the judges, you know, were used to be bodybuilders. They used to mm. compete or at least they're closely affiliated with the sport. So they know she worked her butt off to get to that point. Like her mutual respect. Right. Exactly. Right. So you don't just have complete strangers judging you um, and picking you based off some. Yeah. Like they don't know, um, you know, the nuances of the sport. Right. Or anything right. Like that. that actually happens a lot in um, boxing and MMA. Really? Like just people that don't know anything about fighting. They're just there judging oh the fights. God. I feel like that person won. You know, yeah, yeah. It's a big issue. <laughs> I didn't know that about the judging, though, that a mm-hmm. lot of former pros are, are actually the judges. Yeah, that makes for, sense. former, former, not necessarily always former pros, mm-hmm. but definitely people that have been involved with the sport for sure. a long, long time. Right. Now, when you're looking at like regional level um, competitions, which is the smallest level there is, mm-hmm they're not going to pick out the pro bodybuilders. But when you get to that national stage or international stage, you you know, the judges there, you can trust them. Right. Um, in regional level competitions, there's been kind of controversy, like, oh, the, the judge like didn't know what they were doing. Right, right. And sometimes that happens. Mm-hmm. But um, when you get to national, international level, that's, that's not the case. Yeah. At what level do you compete or plan on competing in next season? So the way it works is kind of really complicated. Um, especially when you start crossing over from different confederations the way I did. But I plan my next season is to get on a regional stage, win the regional stage, and then qualify for nationals um, and go to a national show and hopefully place top five in the national show. Um, That would be incredible. National shows are so difficult. There's so many bikini girls that I've watched these past few months. Um, like this one, Chrissy Fenner. She did. She got fourth place in one national show, and then three weeks later, got thirteenth place in a national oh show. Oh my gosh! Right. So the competition is super fierce. Exactly. So it just it goes all over the place, and that's why girls do so many shows in one season. They might try to extend their prep for nine months out of the year, mm. which is just incredible. I don't know how they do it. Um. Because their coach might tell them, like, you have what it takes to, to win a national stage. It just depends on who else is there, who else shows up that day. Right. Um, you just, you really never know. And that's what I'm referring to when I say, if all the girls look the same, they're going to start going to superficial, right, right. superficial Man, judging. That is fourth to 13th. Mm-hmm. 
That's crazy. Yeah, and and she cut her season short, not necessarily because she was disappointed and she felt bad, but her body couldn't take it anymore. And, right. you know, at that point, she expected to have had a first place finish. Um, her, so it's not even worth coach. it to, to yeah, continue? It's, yeah, it's, it's like, all right, my body's starting to shut down on me. Like, we can get this first place in the next few years. Wow. Um, so it's... It's it's tough. You you never know what's going to happen. I mean, I went from and of course I went from a small show to a bigger show, but in my in this first show I got second place and in the next show I got fourth. So that wasn't a big difference in placing, right, right. but then again, it was maybe at a 10, 12 girls instead of 40, 50. So obviously a big difference there, but yeah, you can never rely on one show to guarantee your next show's placing. It's a very black and white thing. And so I know in order to qualify for the next level of shows, you need to have placed. So regionally, you need to place X number of times before you can even try to go for nationals? Not even a number of times. If you just go to a national show and there happens to only be three girls competing and you get first, mm. boom, you're qualified. And that's why a lot of girls put in their Instagram bio like nationally qualified NPC bikini girl, right? Because they won <laughs> one show. Right. They got first place and woohoo. Out they, of three. Yeah. You know, and that's why there's, you know, there's kind of a lot of shade and, um, you know, any girl could just be a bikini girl if they pick a small show and they win. Right. Right. So and a lot of these girls will put that in their bio and then they won't even go to the national level. They're uh -huh. just they're satisfied with that. And that's yeah. fine, too. Do it for the gram. Right. Because when you get to the national show is when, OK, shit, like all of these girls are qualified because, you know, in a regional show, you can have a first time competitor like me. You can have somebody who just went through a huge weight loss phase and is just doing there for fun. When you get to the national level, all of these girls know what they're doing. All of these girls have top tier level coaches all of these girls are here to win it. There's a huge difference between regional and national. I've gone to a lot of national shows this past season. Mm -hmm. Just um, as a spectator? As a spectator slash show mom for my coach. Okay. Because um, my coach and I kind of turned into our like professional relationship into like best friends. Over the course of prep, we just became really close. So she What's was her name? Marissa Roy. Okay. Um, she's located in Fairfax, Virginia. So I traveled with her just recently in August for her last show this season. We went up to Pittsburgh mm -hmm. um, for the North Americans. And that was a incredibly stacked show. And her coach had like seven girls in that show alone. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was a big show. Um, I think sh she ended up getting 13th, uh, which is really good because they don't even place after 13th. They're just like, all right, like we're not even giving you a number. Like we're not even oh. placing you after that. Like you just. So that's the cutoff of yeah. if you've made it or not. Mm -hmm. wow. So so that was good for her. It was her first national level show. Mm. Um, so that was exciting for her and I'm excited for next year to probably do two or three regional shows. Um, not that I don't think I can win one, but to get a lot of practice on the stage, you right. know, before I go to a national level, that's the goal. Uh, I'm not too worried about it right now. I'm just kind of worried about growing and putting on mass and mm -hmm. taking the judges feedback and actually listening to it and putting that into effect. So you're on the off season, you mentioned putting on mass, right? Yeah. Do you follow the typical bulk season cut season kind of paradigm or yeah i mean a lot of people they throw those terms around because it's like oh we're in the winter like i'm gonna bulk up and then yeah. i'm gonna you know come around springtime i'm gonna start cutting for the summer right sure, that's sure. what people do and yeah. i used to do that too i'm totally guilty of that yeah. there's nothing wrong with that it makes sense like it's summertime you're gonna be in a bikini or shorts like yeah. you want to look good like right. cut down um but if you want to succeed in bodybuilding you need to especially for girls because it's harder for girls to put on significant size um it's yeah, fact it's, it's not like and not even from like a feminist standpoint like oh, it's harder for us it's just genetically it yeah. is and that's the issue a lot of girls want to just compete year round but the thing is you're taking the judges feedback you're going to look the same on stage every single time you know eventually you need to cut your season that's short 
and start to put on size. You know, if the judges mm-hmm. told you they want bigger delts, go get bigger delts. Right. You need to eat if you want bigger delts, assuming you're naughty, right? So there's all of these these factors that go into it. So yeah, I'm in the bulking season right now. I'm already back at the weight that I was when I started my five months of dieting. Um, I'm what? What's today? September 30th? 30th. Yeah. So my season ended June 9th. Mm-hmm. So I'm just about um, three months, three and a half months in mm-hmm. to my off season now. So I'm already back up at the weight. I'm not upset about it. Um, I don't even know what my body fat is now. Not worried about it. Can't um, really think about it that way, right? Yeah, not really. I think about it as how much weight am I doing for laterals? How much am I shoulder pressing? How right. much am I deadlifting? Um, I look at it from a numbers perspective. Am I progressing in my lifts, progressing in my weights, right? I'm not doing as much cardio. I'm healthier. I'm happier. I don't have to worry about so many other factors. Like I'm just kind of enjoying the off seasons. Some people have a much more strict off season and that's okay too. But I think I needed the mental break because like I said, I'm the the person that follows everything to a T. I'm a very type A person. Like I'm going to do everything perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me to have that mental break is a huge thing right now. So I'm just kind of going as it flows. If I get to a point where I start to get uncomfortable, like mm-hmm. I might try to like halt my numbers and just hold off on upping my food. Cause right now my goal is to get to a 300 carb, 300 grams of carbs. Yeah. And, and I'm five, two. So yeah. that's a, that's a lot of food for me. Yeah. Um, that's the goal. Obviously if, if I get to like 250 and I start feeling kind of like, all right, this is yeah. extreme, yeah. then I'm not going to do that. But, um, I mean, sometimes there's some days I have trouble getting down 200 right now just because it's a lot of food for somebody my size. Right, right. Um, so I'm just taking it day by day. There's mm-hmm. no, set plan i don't plan to start dieting until june again because i want to give my body enough time to to grow to grow to actually look different on stage when i go down next what does your like lifting regimen look like do you have like shoulder day like because like delts are really important for so do you separate like that or is it so when i was on prep was a lot different from now um because I actually literally just as of last week, I started a power building phase. Mm. So I'm actually focusing on strength rather than, you know, physique. But um, for my prep, it was pretty much I started out on a five day split. It was legs, push, pull, rest, glutes, delts and arms, rest. Right. So legs was like quad, hamstring, push is chest, chest, shoulders, mm-hmm. pull back by um, glutes. is obviously glutes and delts and arms would be mostly shoulders a little bit of buys and tries towards the end towards the end of prep when it was like all right i need to be burning calories as often as possible we took out that midweek rest day and we added in a full body day just to just burn calories pretty much just to get an extra day in the gym moving around nothing too heavy on that day but yeah it was definitely glute definitely like all leg focused Mm -hmm. and delt focused um essentially I was competing in the NGA, though, which their their requirements for bikini girls are a little different. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the posing for bikini girls. Explain that. So for the back pose um, in the bikini division, it's essentially not leaning forward so much, but arching your back so much that your glute and hamstring separates. Right. And you look like you have like a really nice back shot of your your glutes and hams. Um, Whereas in the NGA, you have to do almost like a lap pose a lat spread yeah but you know one hand on your one hand on your waist one hand accentuated so it's completely different whereas npc bikini girls don't really need to have big lats 
I did for the NGA. So I had a huge focus on back too. Huh. Yeah. So my back days were like two and a half hours long. Oh my God. And it, it just so happened that I love training back. So it worked out. But yeah, I had to have like really big lats. And to this day, everyone always tells me that I have like, like when I do my lat spread, people are like, what in the world? <laughs> like you need to stop. Um, but also with that, it made my waist look smaller having, right. having such huge lats. And so, the, like you were saying, like the illusion mm-hmm, of having a small. Exactly. So depending on where you're competing, you build your body to meet that standard. Oh my gosh, that's mm-hmm. that's pretty crazy. So it's it's not like I said. What separates you know anyone that just lifts from a bodybuilder? It's when I go to the gym, I see these girls that work out, but they're doing legs every other day, and and that's fine because they they want to grow their legs. They don't sure. they could care less about upper body. Whereas a bodybuilder, it doesn't matter if you hate training delts, you need to. You don't have a choice unless you want to get on stage and look disproportionate to everyone else. Right. Everybody has those round delts, the yeah. Dana Lynn Bailey delts. Like, oh my gosh, exactly. Yeah. So she's my favorite. Oh, she's the best. Um, I know a bunch of people that met her at the Arnold this year. Yeah. She's so jealous. But her and her husband have like a very crazy life. I don't oh, know if no. you follow them on Instagram. It's nuts. They uh No, they're all they're everywhere all the time. They were in PA, you know, the Warhouse gym. Mm-hmm. And then they moved to Montana. In the oh, middle of that. nowhere, they have this huge cabin and then Gosh. they ride jet skis and, and like dirt bikes all the time. They're, She's super cool. They're insane. Yeah, yeah. they're really cool. Um, and and so, so, yeah, it's just it's so much more than just throwing weights around. And and, you know, there's a huge misconception, especially like, you know, Planet Fitness. They say that like bodybuilders aren't allowed there. Like they have yeah. signs or like no jugs, like no jugs of water, yeah, which that, is like a typical bodybuilder thing because yeah. you need to get, you know, X amount of water, water in, in yeah. your body. In my peak week, I was drinking four gallons of water a day. Like I was chugging this water. Yeah. It, I can it, barely do eight cups a day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's so many factors go in. Again, like you're treating your body for a purpose. You're not like, oh, I'm thirsty. I'm going to take a sip of water now. I mean, before I did prep, I probably barely drank a gallon a day. Mm. Like completely. I, I used to suck at drinking water. I hated it. Um, And now I drink probably like a gallon and a half, two gallons a day. But there was a point where I had to force four gallons down. And and it worked out because I was doing so much cardio that right you sweat it out exactly yeah. so it wasn't that big of a deal but there's just so many factors I mean your life has to revolve around it like I if you know I it was to the point where I was so tired but I couldn't even sleep in because it would throw off the timing of my meals you know mm. like it was like I, it doesn't matter I have to wake up that way I can get meal one in and still have three hours before meal two et cetera et cetera are you cooking your own meals I was for the whole time yeah. Oh, my mm-hmm. God. And so that's a whole nother thing. Meal prepping is like it's dedication. I mean, some people could do their meal prep in two or three hours. Mm-hmm. Um, I would always be more on the four or five side because, again, I was like super anal and mm-hmm. I have to weigh all my food raw, whereas some people are OK with cooking it or weighing it cooked. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a very like advocate for weighing it raw. I just uh-huh. think it's more accurate. It gives sure. me peace of mind. Um, but that takes a lot more time because it's not like I can cook all my chicken for the week at once. It's like I have to measure out each portion and cook each and portion then, like, out. And cut it. And yeah. Then, yeah. So um, it definitely... And then in peak week too, we cut out sodium. So um, I had to like boil my chicken, pat dry it down. Like <laughs> it was a... It's a big big sacrifice yeah you 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 don't really you start to care less about taste of your food and just what's going to make me feel good in the gym yeah so. people eating like two baked potatoes with no salt right, oh, right. It's, it's not for everybody yeah there was a point there were eight weeks straight where my coach would be like go get a burger at the habit burger grill mm-hmm. um off 355 
And I was like, no, like, I don't want a burger. And she was like, okay, you're clearly not hungry enough. Um, but it, it was funny. We gave my body refeeds and like helped digestion go with all that extra fat from the burger, or the sweet mm-hmm. potato fries. And then once we stopped doing that, like sweet potato became a luxury for yeah. me. Like that was always my go-to carb. Right. Like my body just digested so well. I would always get a great pump. And the thing is with prep, like you learn so much about your body and you, you start to respect your body a lot more. I yeah. think if people put themselves through that dieting phase, even not for a long term or extreme, like a bodybuilding preparation, you would not do some things that you do now. It just teaches you so much. You start to like learn about these natural processes that your body goes through. You know, I took biology in high school. I learned more on six months of prep than I did taking a science class ever. That's awesome. Um, Did you know that when you get to a really low body fat, your fat starts to clump up almost like you know, okay, it's, there's only a few of us left. Like let's gang together. Cause and hold on. <laughs> yeah, literally. I mean, one day I was like in the bathroom, like checking myself out. Cause that's what you have to do. Sure. And I was like rubbing my stomach and I saw all these like dots and I felt these bumps in my stomach. It was oh, the weirdest thing. And I started taking a video and I send this to, um, not my coach, but my like supplement dude, um, which sounds sketchy, but, um, <laughs> Some shady guy in a yeah, hoodie somewhere. <laughs> exactly. Cause he knows all about it. He's yeah. been bodybuilding for a long time. And he was like, yeah, like your fat clumps together. It was the strangest thing to like oh look gosh. down and have just like bumps. Like I felt like an alien. It was right, the strangest right. thing. People don't teach you that. Yeah. It was just something you have to like discover on your own. Um, so it's re- it's really exciting. It, it pays off in the end. Like it's a lot of sacrifice, but um, and for some people it's not worth it. And I, and sure. I get that. Some people pride spending time with their family spending and that's, and that's okay too. But yeah. you know, cause bodybuilding, you get to a certain point where you can't like, just like sorry I, I can't go out and I'm and I used to go out to dinner with my family all the time mm. I didn't go out with them for like six months straight and yeah. even on my reverse like I still have to be on my off season I still have to be a little strict they kind of thought oh yay like you can go out to dinner with us now it's like yeah. not necessarily like right. I can go to Chipotle because I can track their food but I can't right, go right, to some right. some hole in the wall Italian restaurant because yeah. I don't know what's in their food um, so even on your off season, there's a lot of, it doesn't stop. huh? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. So there are a couple things that I just wanted to ask personally, mm-hmm. um, because I'm also really into fitness and stuff, obviously not at the bodybuilder level, mm-hmm. but, um, I wanted to get your opinion on low carb diets. Um, as for a normal day to day, um, person depends on what you pertain as low carb. So like I haven't had, and this we went out to dinner yesterday. So I, I, I cheat one meal a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and then every other day, I do not eat any refined carbs. So no bread, no rice, okay. no noodles, which is tough because I'm Asian, <laughs> right? It's like, oh, that's all I eat. Yeah. Um, uh, and then I do eat a lot of like red meat, protein, and a lot of green vegetables. Okay. It It depends on your goals. Well, I'll put it like this. At the end of the day, there's a lot of controversy over this. I have I've told this to so many people and some people will put it into effect and see results. And some people will be like, nah, like that's BS. But at the end of the day, what's going to make the scale move, right? And not the scale means anything. But if you're trying to put on weight or lose weight, it's calories in versus calories out. So if you are eating more than you're burning, and I don't mean just burning at the gym. I mean just from waking up in the day, your right. brain functioning, your, right. your basal metabolic rate, if you mm-hmm. want to get fancy with the terminology. If you burn, if you eat more than you burn, you're going to p- gain weight. The scale's going to go up. Not necessarily gaining fat, not, not necessarily gaining muscle, um, maybe a combination of the two, but the scale's going to go up. If you start to eat less than you burn, you will lose weight. 
Now, what's going to determine whether that's fat or muscle is how you break down your macronutrients, right? So if you're eating 1,500 calories a day, you know, how much of that is uh, carbs, how much of that is protein, how much of that is fat? There are pro bodybuilders who do keto um, and that's fine. Me personally, my body digests carbs. Great. My body can, like I said, handle 200 carbs right now and I believe that it can get to 300 um, and still maintain a decent leanness but it just goes it varies people to people um it's hard because I've been tracking macros for the last year and a half mm-hmm. and I it's it's hard for me to give advice to people that don't track macros right because it's not about the foods you eat it's it's about, it's about like, the numbers it's the numbers yeah, yeah absolutely so like I said why wasn't I having a cup of rice at the end of prep because I didn't have the numbers for it right. I had the numbers for two pounds of asparagus a day that's <laughs> That's what fit my numbers better. What I would recommend to anybody is to track all of their food for two whole weeks and see what they're eating at and then try to adjust from there. Because a lot of times people are under eating hmm. and they don't realize how much their body can handle. And, you know, I have a lot of people that are like, you know, my body doesn't handle carbs well. Like, I can't do it. I cut out all these foods and I lost weight. And I'm like, OK, that's great. You cut out bread, pizza, pasta, you know, noodles. Right. But it's because you're eating less calories. It's not yeah. because you cut those foods out. It's right. it's because you're eating a plate full of broccoli instead of a plate full of rice. Obviously, that's less calories. Right. So it's not those specific foods. For some people, that works out for them because maybe when you, you eat rice, you can't control yourself. So it's you better for you like, to just cut it out. Sure. Um, and that makes sense too. But I think that's where not necessarily tracking macros, but becoming aware of what's in your food um, numbers wise helps a lot like it helps to know what a portion is sure and there's all those like infographs that are like oh you know a serving of meat is your the size of your palm and that's fine to a certain extent but i think you you won't really know until you go through it just for like a week or two you know like weigh it out buy a food yeah. scale for 10 bucks like just practice and and start logging in on my fitness pal for free and mm-hmm. just see what you're eating because a lot of times you're you're under eating and then you go to the gym and you can't pr and you wonder why because huh. you're not eating enough um, and a lot of people sacrifice food for trying to stay lean. Like they're afraid of the scale going up, but that doesn't always necessarily mean it's you're getting yeah, fat or anything like that. That's also true. So low carb is fine, I think, but I went from 200 to 55 grams over a span of six months. You know, some people will just cut them out, snap their fingers and cut out all these foods and they're dropping so much food. And then guess what? They're going to drop all this weight, but it's going to be short term weight loss. Yeah. And they're going to, they're bound to gain it back eventually because I don't think it's a, for me, at least it's mm. not a sustainable diet. I right. can't go without those foods for very long. Um, I, I love all of those foods and I, and, and I'm a firm believer that like I have frosted flakes every day right now. Like I have like three servings of frosted flakes a day and that's just my choice. And then I have rice for my other meals during the day, or I have potatoes. And for me, it's just sometimes it's just easier to have frosted flakes and I'm weighing it out. And I, I know that I can either have two servings of frosted flakes or five ounces of sweet potato. And it's the same effect. Right. Which one am I going to choose to have before my workout? I'm obviously going to choose to have sweet potato because that's going to fuel my body better. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to I'm not going to have a sugar crash. But I don't think you have to cut out certain foods mm-hmm. for some people it works. Um, and it's hard because there are dozens and dozens and dozens of myths 
in the fitness industry, you know, you can't eat carbs past 6 p.m. You, you yeah, know. I never really bought into that one. Yeah, at the end of because what happens is when you eat carbs, it puts water into your cells, right? So there's a lot of water weight involved. So if you eat carbs at midnight and weigh yourself at 6 a.m., you're gonna weigh more than if you were to eat those carbs at 5 p.m., obviously. But it's not fat gain. Uh, you know, a lot of people rely on the scale too much. They see it go up a pound and they're like, oh, my gosh. What did I do? Yeah. And right. it's just water weight or you had more sodium than normal or mm. there's a lot of factors that go into it. So um, a lot of people will like go in my DMs and ask me all these questions uh-huh. and they're like, you know, the scale went up. And I'm like, take your average weekly weight. Right. You know, don't go day to day. Weigh yourself every day and then do the math at the end of the week and see your progress that way um because it fluctuates day to day you 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 can't rely on it at all there were so many times where i would wake up the next day like three pounds heavier and i would text my coach like we're doing something wrong like something is just not okay like i'm gonna look fat on stage you know like freaking out um and she was like relax like tomorrow you'll be fine um and sometimes she would be like do an extra five minutes of cardio Mm. more just to bring me peace of mind right, right. than to actually psychologically yeah, yeah exactly so to go back to low carb diets it's not bad but i, I don't think it's sustainable hmm. um if you're trying to cut down for a, a trip or something like that and you want to cut out those foods that's fine um because you're going to be in taking less calories overall most likely hmm. um but i don't think it's sustainable hmm. that's a it's, Sometimes you need to hear someone say yeah, it. Yeah, it's 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 hard because I mean I have told so many people that, and so many people are like, "No, I rather go with um the the magazine article that yeah. I read that said I because that ke- the keto thing is really popular right now. It's another fad diet, mm-hmm. um, but a lot of people don't realize you have to test your blood for ketosis, and if you're yeah. not doing if you're not in ketosis, cutting out all those carbs doesn't do anything. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's and that's not sustainable either, in yeah. my opinion. Like why? Why would you put your body through that? I mean, right now, because of the also the thing is, I don't know if you're familiar, but like carbs and protein, um, one gram of carb and one gram of protein are four calories per gram, Mm -hmm. whereas fat is nine calories per gram. So if you're cutting out carbs and eating like mostly fatty foods, you know, egg yolks, bacon, avocado, exactly. You're actually going to eat less volume because that food is all of a sudden more caloric. So not only are you missing out on potentially foods that you really like, most people like bread, pasta, et cetera, rice, but you're not going to be able to eat as much. Like a whole avocado, if you were to have that many carbs and fat from like a piece of bread and an egg yolk, you'd be a lot more full from the piece of bread and egg yolk. It's a good point. Too. So, you know, I, I don't see the benefit in it. Um, I have really big eyes. My eyes are bigger than my stomach. So I like to see a full plate of food in front mm. of me. Uh, if I'm looking at a small avocado, I'm going to convince so myself. Sad. Exactly. <laughs> like I'm going to convince myself that that's not a lot of food. Your brain tricks yourself into yeah. being hungry. Exactly. Huh. So, um, and that's another thing on prep. Like you have to try to stay busy because boredom hunger hits. Oh yeah. And you, you, you can't give into that. You can't, you can't eat your meal super early and then ooh, it's, eight, it's seven o'clock at night and you don't have anything left to eat for the mm. day. Um, and so you kind of have to stay busy, but then it contradicts the fact that you have no energy and you, right. you can't do anything. Um, you can't hang out with your friends cause they're all doing stuff. You can't yeah, they're partake all drinking, in. Right. Or, yeah. Yeah. So, so what is your goal for your bodybuilding career? Like, where do you, where do you see yourself at the end of it? Because there's an end game and it's mm-hmm. age. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's a lot of people that maintain the whole bodybuilding lifestyle, but they don't compete when they get past a certain age because at at a certain age, it does get harder to get lean and and your body starts to break down faster. But right now my goal is to hopefully go IFBB pro one day. 
we'll see how it goes just because you know I love bodybuilding I love the bikini division I love everything about it like I said I love prep more than I love the stage but there's a lot of girls that go pro who I don't think deserve it and there's a lot of girls who deserve to go pro that don't so I don't want to idolize that label too much for myself because it's it's not a fair it's a very political political mm-hmm. sport you know um so I don't want to say like, oh, my goal is to go IFBB pro and be 30 years old and still not an IFBB pro and mm. stressing over it. Um, I think that I have what it takes to become pro. It just depends on what show I pick, who shows up that same day. Right, right. Um, end goal, that would be really cool. But um, I do, I just want to kind of find a balance because when, when you're a bodybuilder, it's super hard because you're just, you're either at zero or you're either at 100. And it's hard to get to 100 and slowly back out of it. As cliche as it sounds, I kind of just want to find like a middle ground when I'm done with competing. Probably in the next four or five years, I'll be done competing, honestly, because at a certain point, I do want to focus on career and like family. Um, And you see a lot of moms that compete and and such. But like a lot of people told me not to compete because I'm 18 and I'm too young. But I thought of it as my prime. Like I have the most flexibility in my schedule. I have the most time on my hands. I can pick class when I want to go to class. I can rearrange my work schedule to fit my needs you know I'm not set in stone with a nine to five well now I am actually but Mm -hmm. I wasn't when I was on prep I wasn't working to a nine to five I could do whatever I want go to the gym whenever I wanted so I thought that was great but when I get to a certain point I get married or have kids I don't want to put myself through that or like make my kids watch me go through that you know um so more power to the people that go through it um and obviously my opinion on that might change in the next few years. We we will see. But I don't see myself competing with past the next five, six years. But you plan on taking the whole fitness aspect of it, the nutrition aspect uh, yeah, of it. Yeah, like- definitely. And I want to pass that on to my kids. I, yeah. I'm not going to force them into bodybuilding by yeah. any means because it's not for everyone. Right. Um, but I do want them to be educated about what goes in their body. Like I don't want them to you know to let themselves get to a point where they're just like unhealthy you know yeah. and i'm not saying i want them to be strong jacked little five-year-olds that's not what i mean at or all maybe they will be who yeah, knows, <laughs> who, who knows? Um, do you know who mark lobliner is no he's he's a bodybuilder and um his both of his kids play soccer mm-hmm. but he has them weight train also um almost every day and his daughter is like 12 and she, she i think she weighs like 89 pounds and oh. she was like deadlifting 145 for like reps oh my gosh you know like really impressive but he you know and i actually met him recently mm-hmm. um such a great guy to talk to and he was like you know they wanted to i didn't force them by any means right. um you know doug miller a lot of people call him the best pro natty bodybuilder he doesn't call himself that he's oh. very humble but he owns um the nutrition corners it's a branch of like like the GNC, right? Uh-huh. It's a it's a vitamin, it's a nutritional supplement shop, uh-huh. um, and that's where I get my supplements from. And he's the owner of all ten branches. They just opened their first branch in Maryland, and he has a five year old son. And he, people always ask him, like, "Are you going to make him lift?" He's like, "I'm going to make him do whatever he wants." Right. Like, I mean, he, they're kids, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's where I'm going to be. I want them just to be healthy. Mm. Like I want them to be active. I want them to not crave junk food. Yeah. You know, that that's more of where I stand with that. But sure. Well, I mean, we've been talking for a minute. Is there mm. uh is there anything else that you wanted to cover or talk about or mention at all? Um, I think I think if you just if you see a bodybuilder at the gym, you know, like feel free to ask them uh-huh. about it. Most of the time we're more than you know, this is something that 
if you do bodybuilding, it's because you're passionate about it. Mm. It's not because anybody's forcing you to go through it. Nobody's telling you, you know, do this and I'll give you $10,000. It's all because we want to. So more than likely, if you find, if you see someone like that and you ask them about it, they're going to ramble about it the way, the way I do at the gym when people talk to me, um, because this is our hobby. It's our lifestyle. So, you know, don't hesitate to ask. And if, if I personally tell people all the time, like DM me, if you have any questions about nutrition and I, somebody will send me like a five worded question and I'll send them like 10 essays back in response just because because I like to help people and I like to educate people about it um so it's just know that there's so much more to it than it looks you know it's not just lifting heavy weights throwing them around maybe you know yeah because you know sometimes there's those guys that or even girls that just they'll curl away they'll throw it on the floor and make a loud bang and and they and they get looks right and it's like oh bodybuilders but (laughs) but like there's so much more to it you know so um I guess cliche don't judge a book by its cover right 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 well i mean just just talking to you i think um it taught me a lot about (laughs) the extreme i guess lifestyle of bodybuilding and i'm sure people that are listening are just also impressed (laughs) with i guess more the mental aspect of it i mean just picturing someone drinking four gallons of water that's crazy (laughs) yeah and i think i think people do need to understand like i always thought of bodybuilding as if this is the upper echelon of what people can do with their bodies, mm-hmm. right? I can improve myself, so I'm closer to that. Yeah. And I think what bodybuilding does is it, it really puts human health and optimization at the forefront. Mm-hmm. And then everybody learns from that later. Right. You know, like about protein, creatine, like basic stuff now. Yeah. Where did it come from? It came from bodybuilding right, and like right. the, all the workouts. It comes from there because they're the best. The Arnold split. Yeah, you know, exactly. All that. all that stuff. Yeah, it, it all stems from something. And, in you know, I don't know. I think bodybuilding as a sport is peaking right now. I mm-hmm. think it's in its prime. It's very popular um, right now. But, uh, you know, who knows how long it'll last. It might die out soon. But it, it's a fantastic sport. You Again, like you learn so much. Mm. You teach yourself so much. It's not about motivation. People ask me all the time, like, how do you stay motivated? I'm not motivated. You think I want to go to the gym sometimes? Mm. No, like most of the time I don't. Anytime I have a lower body workout, trust me, I don't want to go. I'm yeah. all about like back and chest. So it's discipline. It's discipline that takes you there. I mean, the last five weeks of my prep, I wasn't listening to music anymore. I was listening to motivational speakers you know these Mm. people telling you like the only limitations in front of you are the ones you put on yourself trying to get your mindset right but yeah it's it's a it's a mental game more than anything else um but i wouldn't switch it for anything else well i think i think this was a really illuminating conversation (laughs) you are super informative and interesting to talk to (laughs) thank you um and i'm really glad we talked me too me too alessandra molina thank you so much for coming thank you for having me And there you have it. The fifth episode of the Lucha Lounge podcast is in the books. I had a really great time talking to Alessandra. She's such an intelligent, well-spoken young lady. And I learned so much about fitness and training. And I can't wait to apply some of the things that I learned in my own regimen. If you want to follow her on Instagram, you can check her out at amolina.fit. That's at A-M-O-L-I-N-A dot fit. And I wish her nothing but success in her upcoming bodybuilding season. Next week, my guests are going to be Andrew Reedy and Elise Crane. They own a company called Open World Racing, where they take groups of people overseas for adventure races. So that should be a great conversation as well. 
Once again, I really appreciate you for listening. And I hope that you subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Google Podcasts or go to the website www.luchaloungenetwork.com for all past episodes. And I guess that's it. Thanks again for listening. Bye.